You're listening to Faith, Finance, and Freedom with financial advisor, Drew Lehman. Welcome back, everyone. In today's episode, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about the value of working with a financial advisor, as well as discuss the different types of advisors that are out there. We'll then discuss a passage from the Book of Romans. We've got a lot to get to, so let's dive in. So, do you need a financial advisor? I know this is a bit of a self-serving topic, being that I've, of course I'm a financial advisor, but I think it's a topic worth exploring. In the information age that we currently live in, it's easier than ever to get answers for basically anything in just a few seconds by doing a simple search on Google. This has led a lot of people to become DIYers for a lot of different things. I mean, I myself try to do most things around the house on my own instead of paying professionals. Sometimes this works out and sometimes, yeah, maybe more often than not, it leads to frustration and a waste of time and money for me. I tend to work on my own cars and my own home improvement projects, including complete remodels. However, I'm not your typical handyman that was taught how to do things all on my own. Actually, I usually just rely heavily on YouTube and on other online sources. I'll spend hours researching how to do certain projects, and a lot of time, I come to the conclusion I can do it myself, so I give it a try. And while there are certainly things I can DIY by watching videos online and doing some research, there's also a lot of things that I shouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole, and I should happily pay someone else to do. For me, when it comes to auto mechanics, for instance, I can and will do simple things like oil changes, brake changes, tire rotations, and other maintenance items. But if it comes to a major suspension, engine, or transmission repair, while I've tried to do them in the past, I now gladly pay my local mechanic to do it for me. For me, it comes down to not wanting to spend the time on these types of repairs, and more importantly, sparing myself the frustration when it doesn't go according to plan. And obviously, there are other things that I wouldn't use the internet for, like, for instance, my own medical care. Now, that doesn't mean I don't research things that my doctor recommends and make sure the advice is consistent with my beliefs and values. But I just take the Ronald Reagan approach. Trust, but verify. So what about when it comes to a financial advisor? Should you hire a financial professional or should you manage your finances all on your own? Well, there are certainly a ton of tools available online to manage your own investments, to help you do your own taxes, to create your own estate plan, to balance your own budget, etc. And there are also thousands of sites dedicated to providing you with education on personal finances so that you can make appropriate choices for yourself. And many people are currently not engaged with a financial advisor, an accountant, or an estate attorney. Instead, they manage all of this on their own. And these people are indeed saving a lot of money by doing so. Some of them are pretty, doing a pretty good job. However, I feel that the majority of individuals doing this may be doing themselves a disservice by either doing things wrong or simply by just missing something that they didn't know. This is where a financial advisor can be most beneficial. Let me give you a perfect example. I have a client that I've worked with for about six years. Prior to working with me, he was self-managing his investments and really his financial situation as a whole. On the investment front, he had made plenty of mistakes, but that's not really what I wanna focus on here. 
Let's instead focus on a major mistake he made, simply by missing something that he was just unaware of. He had gone to an attorney, and they set up a revocable living trust for his estate. He then went into his retirement accounts and changed the beneficiary to be the trust. This all seems pretty innocent and like a good idea. However, his attorney didn't know his total situation, and he wasn't aware that he was going to be naming the trust as the beneficiary of his IRA. And the trust was not written appropriately to handle this type of situation. Because of this simple mistake, it would have cost his heirs around a half a million dollars in income taxes had we not fixed it upon my review of his financial situation. Not to get too far into the details, but a trust simply cannot be the beneficiary of a retirement account unless there's specific language in the trust on how to handle that retirement account. And thus, the retirement account would have had to be completely cashed out upon the client's death. I noticed this right away, and we had his attorney make a simple amendment, solving the problem completely. I think this is a pretty good summary of the problem with handling your finances completely on your own. You see, you may be a trained school teacher, architect, engineer, general contractor, mechanic, or even an attorney. You're probably very capable of a lot of things related to your own finances even. But if you just miss one thing, it can cost you or your family a lot in the long run. This is why, going back to my own DIY situation, I'll handle simple auto repair jobs, but if it's something more detailed, I'll gladly hire a professional. So that gives a good example of the overall benefits of a financial professional, but let's get more into the specifics of investment advice. Are there benefits to hiring specifically an investment advisor? And if so, how do you choose? Well, typically people hire an investment advisor because they lack either the time, the desire, the knowledge, or the discipline to manage investments on their own. Let's break into each of these areas a bit. Starting with time. Well, how much time does it really take to manage your investments on your own? Well, there's first of all the research. You need to know what to invest in when you first set up your portfolio. And then you need to consistently research to make sure you're still invested in the right things because things change over time. You should be doing things as well like rebalancing your portfolio on a consistent basis, which means you need to look at your allocation bare minimum monthly and more effectively daily. To properly manage a portfolio, it does indeed take a lot of time. Now, most people probably don't put the time that's required into it. Do you have the desire to manage investments on your own? For a lot of people, the answer is actually yes. Some people really enjoy the ins and outs of the financial markets. They love reading articles on companies and funds, and they love making the choices themselves. For many people, though, the answer is absolutely not. No way. They would much rather spend their time on their own careers or with their families or hobbies uh, rather than spending time watching economic data. Do you have the knowledge to manage investments on your, your own? We already talked about the knowledge on finances as a whole, which can be overwhelming, but what about specifically investments? As mentioned previously, there's a lot of information available, but one of the biggest issues is discerning what information is best for your situation. 
There are opinions that cover both sides of every aspect of investments and finances in general. For example, there are always experts out there saying that the stock market is about to crash and we are headed for a recession. These opinions occur every single quarter of every single year. But of course, recessions and stock market crashes are very rare. If you manage your investments based on whether someone was predicting a recession, you would just always have your money sitting in cash and would earn nothing. Which brings me to the last point here, discipline. This is probably the area where I think most DIY investors struggle the most. Do you truly have the discipline to manage your investment portfolio objectively? You see, even if you have the time, the desire, and the knowledge to effectively manage investments, could your emotions be getting in the way? As a financial advisor, I think honestly this is where I add the most value for my clients. Sure, I can present financial solutions that my clients weren't aware existed when it comes to their taxes, estate plan, retirement savings, whatever, but keeping my clients from acting when they shouldn't is huge specifically when it comes to people wanting to pull everything out of the market when a bad headline comes, which is all the time. There are always bad headlines. There's always the threat of recession and a stock market crash. And you have to be disciplined to know that these threats always exist and that you have to stay the course anyways. If we just look at the last couple of years, for example, you can understand what I mean. Put yourself back into 2020 for a minute. Rough year, I know. Imagine you just retired and then COVID hit, followed by government lockdowns. Everyone was panicking. All the talking heads on the news were saying we're headed for financial ruin. And I spent hours and hours on the phone talking clients through what to do. My advice was the same as it always is. This too shall pass and you will be much better off by not reacting negatively. You see, if you panicked and sold in March of 2020, you likely lost around 15 to 20% of your portfolio. However, the market actually quickly recovered from the COVID volatility, and it actually finished up for the year of 2020 around 25%. You cannot react to negative headlines. You have to be disciplined. Okay. Now that I've made the case that you should consider working with a financial advisor, how do you choose the right advisor? There are many different types of financial advisors and professionals out there, and they have different names. They go by things such as financial advisor, financial planner, investment advisor, wealth manager, etc. There's also really different roles. There are stockbrokers, insurance agents, financial planners, and sometimes they all go by the same title. So how do you choose? Well, again, I'm a bit biased in this discussion, I'll admit that. But I do personally think it's incredibly important to understand what it means to work with a fiduciary. So I don't know if you've heard that term, but let's get into it. What is a fiduciary? Well, legally, what it means to be a fiduciary is that I'm legally required to put my client's interests ahead of my own. But what does that actually mean? It really all boils down to compensation. You see, in the financial services industry, there are really two main ways that advisors make money. 
There's the fee basis, aka how a fiduciary like myself is paid. And then there's the commission basis, which is how, honestly, most advisors have been traditionally compensated for much of the financial services industry's history. Let's dive into this a little bit more. We'll start with a commission basis. Let's say, for example, that I was a commission-based advisor. And let's say I had two products to choose from to recommend for you. It really doesn't matter what the product is. It could be an annuity. Yeah, I just used the evil word. A mutual fund, an insurance product. It doesn't matter. Let's just say I was choosing between two products that both could be considered suitable for you. However, one product is just objectively better. It might have better historical returns, lower fees, a better future outlook. It's just better. But what if the other product pays me a higher rate of commission? Which one are you getting sold? Now listen, I'm not saying that all commission-based advisors would always push you to the higher commission product. I'm simply pointing out there's a huge conflict of interest here. The advisor, I'm sure, cares about you, but they also care about providing for their own family. And could that come into play when they're ready to make a recommendation? You see, the fiduciary structure removes this conflict of interest. As a fiduciary, the only compensation I'm allowed to receive is the stated fee that my client pays me. The products that I choose to put my clients in do not pay me a commission. It removes that major conflict of interest and puts me and my clients on the same side of the table, meaning if my clients do better, I do better as well. And if my clients do worse, I do worse. I have a vested interest in making sure that my clients are in the best portfolio for their situation and that it's growing effectively. The fiduciary standard also takes the whole relationship from being merely transactional to being relational. What do I mean here? See, on a commission basis, the pressure is all around making the sale. Once the advisor gets you to sign up, they make their commission, and they don't really have a vested interest to keep you happy beyond that, unless they're trying to make another sale. Under the fiduciary standard, however, if one of my clients is unhappy and leaves three years from now, guess what? My revenues go down as well. I have a vested interest in not only getting a client to sign up with me, but then keeping that client happy for the rest of their, hopefully the rest of their lives. Now, that's not to say that the fiduciary standard is perfect and it gets rid of all conflicts of interest. For instance, I only get paid if my clients become clients. So of course I'm recommending that a prospective client signs up with me, which is really no different than any other business trying to get you to utilize their business as well. Also, not all fiduciaries are created equal. We'll discuss this in, a, in greater detail in a future episode, but you do need to make sure that your advisor is committed to serving you and that you're truly getting the value you're paying for out of your advisor. However, I do want to address an objection I've gotten from some clients and from others in the industry about the fiduciary structure. It goes something like this. Well, long-term, I'll save a ton of fees by just paying an upfront commission and not an ongoing advisory fee. Well, a couple of points here. First of all, I'm not sure this is entirely true, as we would need to look at the fees in total, both the stated fees and any ongoing underlying expenses that might be occurring for an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. We would also need to consider 
would the advisor make an additional move in the portfolio down the road that might generate an additional commission? But let me grant the point for a minute and say that it's actually true. Let's say it costs you more long-term to work with a fiduciary. Would it be worth it? Would it be worth it to fully have the attention of an advisor that has a vested interest to make sure you're properly taken care of for the rest of your life? Would it be worth it to have an advisor that regularly wants to check in with you and meet with you to make sure your questions are answered and that you're on the same page? All I'm saying is, sometimes you get what you pay for. You may not want to bargain shop for the cheapest investment advice available. Okay, let's dive into a recent scripture reading of mine from the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I was reading this verse today, and I was thinking about a conversation I started having with my four-year-old the other day. We recently started doing a family Bible study to try to pique our kids' curiosity and get them more interested in the Word. My four-year-old has always just kind of messed around when we pray or read the Bible. She is four after all. But the other day, she did start asking some curious questions. She asked me, why did Jesus have to die? I love the innocence of a child when it comes to faith questions. The answer is that Jesus, who was perfect, had to die. He chose to die for us ungodly, filthy, sinful people. He chose to die for you and for me, even while we were still sinners. He knew what he was doing. He knew that even after we found out about him, even after we choose to believe, we would still mess up and we would still sin regularly. But he chose to do it anyway. Man, what an amazing truth that is. Well, as usual, this has been a blast. Until next time, God bless.